0: So real quick, I just want to give a hat tip to WBEZ, Chicago's public radio. The Chicago Sun-Times and the organized crime and corruption reporting project for their investigation that found dozens of far-right extremist members of the Oath Keepers within the ranks of the Chicago Police Department, as well as discovering allegations of excessive force, improper searches, and racist comments. On the job by those same extremists. Great job, WBEZ, Chicago Sun-Times, as well as the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. We usually do not give any kind of hat tip or commendation in any way to regular establishment media, but this time they've done a fantastic job. Really glad to see that this is finally coming out the, the far right is very well represented within the Chicago Police Department. The future ain't what it used to be. This is hell. Speaking of which, at the beginning of this century, the Pacific coastal nation of Ecuador in northwest South America was in the midst of many crises. The economy was collapsing, crime was skyrocketing, and the nation seemed on the verge of implosion, if not collapse. Corruption was rampant, Ecuadorians were under increasing risk of becoming victims of crime, financial instability was rampant, and inequality was still benefiting the nation's wealthiest and criminal organizations that were often linked together. Illegal drug trafficking was also exploding while indigenous rights were being systematically ignored. But seemingly out of nowhere, Ecuador elected a president, Rafael Correa, who turned away from neoliberalism and the influence of the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. Soon, life started actually getting better the instability and insecurity were disappearing and everything just started improving and it kept improving during president korea's administration after leaving office his vice president succeeded him but for reasons we will get into shortly it was never the same a week ago ecuadorians would return to the election booth to vote for a new president and yet again It came down to voting for the desires of big business or the demands of the people. Oh, yeah, an organized crime distributing cocaine and banana shipments. In a few minutes, we will have the return of columnist Mark Weisbrot, who recently posted the Center for Economic Policy and Research article, Ecuador's election could have lasting consequences. Mark is co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. He's the author of the 2015 book, Failed What the Experts Got Wrong About the Global Economy, which we discussed on the show with Mark when it was published. You can find that interview at our site right now, This is thisishell.com, when you search on his last name, Weisbrot, W-E-I-S-B-R-O-T. Mark is co-author with CEPR co-director and past several-time guest Dean Baker of the 2000 book, Social Security, The Phony Crisis, which was incredibly prescient and is still very relevant today. Mark has written numerous research papers on economic policy. He writes a regular column on economic and policy issues that is distributed to over 550 newspapers by the Tribune Content Agency. His opinion pieces have appeared in The New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, The Guardian, and almost every major U.S. paper, as well as as Brazil's uh, largest newspaper, Folha de Sao Paulo. Mark has been on This Is Hell many times, as has Dean Baker, and many of their colleagues at CEPR. CEPR has been supporting This Is Hell for a very long time, and we truly appreciate that support. Now, according to my records, and I do not trust our records, this is Mark's first appearance on This Is Hell since 2018. At the time, Mark was on to talk about his then-just-posted CEPR column, A Note About Our Backyard, The column considered the Trump administration's policy towards South America and what the administration could learn from the many State Department officials who resigned shortly after Trump appointed Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State in order to employ a more gloves-off policy to the region. Find out more about Mark at his website, markwisebrot.com. Follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Weisbrot Producing is Richard Norwood. Richard, it's been a while. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, So the other day, I was walking to the bus. I was uh, just kind of-
0: The Grand Avenue bus?
1: No, well, I was in a different neighborhood. Okay. But but, um, just kind of enjoying the architecture of the uh, Mm -hmm. neighborhood. I got to an intersection, and down the cross street comes a guy on a bike. Okay. He He gets near to me, and he says- he yells out, have a blessed day, sir. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't say anything. I was just kind of in my own world. Sh- and so once he gets past me, he yells out, thanks for the reply. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was thinking, wow, is that what Christians are all about? They gift a blessed day to someone and then expect right. something in return. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get recognition. What was the point in giving you a blessed day? Exactly. <laughs> so there's some big scorecard in the sky that they think they're getting points on? Wow. That's some bitter Christian there. So uh, the person who I would never call my wife, but my friends do, she's out of town. But here's the thing she does all the cooking. She uh, didn't, when we moved in together, I think I may have even been doing more cooking than she was at the time. And I I didn't know anything about cooking, but I think I knew more about cooking than she did. But slowly, over time, we divided our labor, and she took over cooking while I was relegated to washing dishes, a job I hated when getting paid for it, and a chore I hated even more when I wasn't. I often envy the fact that she gets to cook and I have to do dishes, but honestly, having a legally blind and completely colorblind guy cook... It's probably more risky than having them do the dishes. But with all the other stuff I have to do around the house, plus doing the radio show, live stream, and podcasts, and everything that entails, who has time to cook? That's when I realize she does, because I'm doing every other chore. That's how much work it takes to cook, which I am finally realizing now. Just to cook, that's as much as doing all the other chores in your house No wonder so many people get fast food or frozen food or takeout from somewhere Cooking takes a lot of time if you're doing more than heating up frozen food With more and more hours going to school or working or both No wonder the average lifespan in the United States is dropping We need this crappy food Supporters of neoliberalism are killing us while making a fortune by selling us highly profitable and convenient and Not very healthy food. Meanwhile, they dine on actually fresh and healthy food, which only they have the money or time to prepare or paying someone else to prepare it for them. My apologies, but apparently I get very upset from eating far too many frozen pizzas. Richard, please remind us, what is this week's question from hell for our listening audience?
1: Speaking of pizza, how will you celebrate former President Trump's re-election in 2024?
0: Your segues. They are as smooth as butter, my friend. I really appreciate it. Uh, the person with our favorite answer to this week's question, how wins their choice of whatever this is all merchandise they want. We have T-shirts, tote bags, face coverings, face masks, coffee, mugs, truckers, caps, winter beanie or toque if you prefer. Uh, we've got uh, new uh, baseball hats. We have uh, polo, uh, uh, what's it called, a shirzy, hooded shirzy, all sorts of stuff, as well as the This Is Hell Guide to the 21st Century Flash Drive featuring dozens of interviews from the 2000s. I mean, what better way to support This Is Hell than wearing a piece of our merchandise that says in huge letters on it, This Is Hell. You can check out all of our stuff right now by going to This Is Hell. And Thisishell.com and clicking on support You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell At our Facebook page, facebook.com Slash thisishellradio, or you can tweet it at us At thisishellradio, you can share it At our Patreon page Patreon.com slash thisishell Or post it at our Discord Community, or just email it to us At thisishellradio@gmail.com. at gmail.com But we must have your answer by the end of today's show When we are announcing this week's winner Following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth Richard, what is Jeff talking about During this week's moment of truth?
1: Jeff tries his hand at a medieval Japanese form of literary coleslaw.
0: (laughs) Coming up, the vote in Ecuador and what it could mean for the region and the world. Richard shares more of your answers to this week's question from hell. We'll tell you what's happening on this week's bonus podcast for Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash this is hell. And following this week's moment of truth from Jeff Dorchin, as we were saying, we will be announcing the winner of this week's question from hell. So get your answer in now. Live from the United States where capitalism is the virus And we're spreading it all over This is hell Less than a week ago Ecuadorians went to the polls to vote for their next president Ecuador has had its share of ups and downs in the 21st century As all nations have But there was a time when things were up Because crime, corruption, and instability were down However, despite those policies bringing hope to the nation They have since been abandoned And it appears Ecuador is heading further and further back to its corrupt and criminal past. Returning to This is Hell to tell us what is happening in Ecuador, columnist Mark Weisbrot recently posted the Center for Economic Policy and Research article, Ecuador's election could have lasting consequences. Welcome back to This is Hell, Mark. Okay. Okay. It's good um,
2: yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, you know, if Trump wins, uh, this is hell. Will become a, a very popular name for a radio show. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, and maybe we'll sell um, some more merch too. <laughs> so you, you write that. Um, imagine a developing country where a 43 year old economist with a PhD from the University of Illinois, who is relatively unknown as a politician, runs for president and wins. Despite the preceding decades of corruption and institutional rot, he puts together a competent government. And gets the economic policy right. So the developing uh, country you are writing about is Ecuador, and the then 41-year-old economist is Rafael Correa. In the October 2006 general election, uh, Correa had uh, come in second place, 27% to 23% to banana tycoon Alvaro Noboa. Uh, the banana. So uh, and then Correa then won the runoff election over Noboa by 14 points, 57 to 43%. So he had just lost to Noboa in the the general, but in the final election, he wins in the runoff. Noboa, who we'll talk more about later, was also the runner-up in the previous two presidential elections before that. At his inauguration, Correa said his election meant an end to neoliberalism in Ecuador. He campaigned on lessening the power and influence of the World Bank and International Monetary Fund uh, and the kind of influence that they had held over policymaking and the economy of Ecuador. So, Mark, why in 2006? Why did Ecuadorians vote against neoliberalism in 2006? How long had they embraced and uh, it, neoliberalism and what was the outcome?
2: Well, um, it was pretty bad in all of Latin America, actually. And that's you know, I'm glad you're giving this background and context Is we don't get a lot of news on, on Latin America in the U.S., or it's not prominent. I mean, some of it is there. You can look for it. And, you know, CEPR, uh, we we send out a, a, a summary of the news just about every day so you can find a lot of the wire service stories there that don't get a lot of press here. But you, the this took place at a time, it was a historic uh, time in the uh the 21st century, the first decade, there was a huge change in Latin America. During that decade, uh, the left, I would say, uh, you know, progressive governments were elected in the majority uh, uh for the majority of the population of the region. And and independent governments. In fact, I think it was Noam Chomsky called it the second independence of Latin America because these governments tended to be much more independent in the United States. And I wanna say also that for this background is that the, this was in response to the worst economic failure in the region uh, in Latin American history, 20-year uh, uh, failure from 1980 to 2000, uh, where the, uh, the income per person, That's GDP, which is similar to income per person, Uh, grew by only uh, less than 8% over 20 years. Now, by comparison, in the pre-neoliberal era, era, the previous 20 years, 1960 to 1980, it grew by 91%. So imagine the contrast. And this is a story you don't hear that much here again, because these supporters were, these uh, policies were supported Uh, by, you know, institutions like you mentioned, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, the the ones that failed uh, miserably from uh, 60 to 80. So you had that experience in Ecuador as well in the prior uh, two decades, and Correa was elected uh, to change things. By the way, it wasn't, you know, income per person is the most basic, or GDP per capita, it's the most basic uh, indicator that economists have for, you know, what happens to an economy. And and uh, and it's very correlated, actually, with uh, social indicators as well, you know, like life expectancy and for mortality and so on. And the, uh, but you can also look at the poverty rate for Latin America from 2002 to 2013. Uh, it fell from uh, 44 uh, to 28%. And the prior two decades, it had been increasing, actually. So this was just a drastic change. And in Ecuador, I think uh, that was, in a lot of ways, the most uh, impressive example of changing economic uh, policy of all of the left uh, governments at that time because of the uh, the things that the, the government did. And this is a really important point for people who look at developing countries and economic policy in the world, because, you know, the standard orthodoxy, which you're familiar with, I'm sure, is that developing countries are very restricted by the global economy they, and what they can do. They can't uh, put controls on international investment or trade. They have to have... Rules and laws that uh, investors, especially international investors, like they can't do these unorthodox things. And 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 Ecuador did, I think, the most in terms of uh, changing policy and doing things that some of them were uh, unprecedented. So, for example, they uh, they well they 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 took over the central bank. You know, this idea that the central bank should be independent and not accountable to the government. That's a kind of a, the, one of the uh, most important neoliberal ideas that took root, in, you know, especially in the 1980s. And uh, that, uh, of course, is a way of restricting democracy, that the central bank can do things that throw people out of work. Uh, you know, as our central bank has done many times, and they've raised interest rates, of course, uh, you know, recently. Uh, And this is something that they, they changed, uh, you know, right away. And they also uh, put controls on the banks because the banks were required to hold 45% of their liquid assets in the country. That's the kind of thing they always tell you, you can't really do that. You you can't force these banks to do it, but they did, and they raised it to 60% in 2012. Now, that was really important for Ecuador, and I don't want to go too much into the technical aspects, but Ecuador didn't have its own currency when Correo was elected and took office in 2007, they have, the dola- they have the dollar. They still have the dollar as their currency. And that really restricts a lot of what you can do in terms of interest rates and monetary policy. And so uh, they needed those dollars and they were able to do it. They were able to uh, put a tax on capital flight to keep, uh, and that became an issue we'll see uh, later on and most recently as well. But they put a tax on capital flight and they were able to keep a lot of money in the country uh, that way. And the bank's assets uh, that were held domestically increased from 33% uh, percent to 69% in just a few years. And so uh, that, that was 2009 to, to uh, 2012. So that's the kind of, uh, the, and they even did quantitative easing, which probably nobody thought anyone could do when they didn't have their own currency. That's when the The central bank actually creates money uh, to stimulate the economy, as we've created uh, trillions of dollars since, uh, you know, after uh, 2008. And uh, in the United States, uh, when we had our uh, Great Recession and kept doing it and for, you know, for uh, for many years and the uh, but you couldn't you couldn't uh, you couldn't do that very easily when you can't, you don't have your own uh, currency, you're using some other country's currency. But they found a way to do even that. So that's just an example of all the things they did. And so people got schools and roads and hospitals and all these places where they didn't have them before because of the uh, the enormous increase in public investment and government expenditure on health services, which doubled as, a, both of those doubled as a share of the economy. And so this was the kind of thing that they did and it was uh very successful as a you know uh poverty was reduced by 41 uh, percent and income per person grew about twice the rate it had grown for the last uh, 25 years
0: and you point out that uh, ecuador's economic success under correa following his uh, election in 2007 quote the numbers tell much of his story in uh, or of the story in the 10 years of his presidency poverty fell by 41 percent income per person grew at more than twice the rate of the previous 25 years, public investment and in government expenditure on health services doubled as a share of the economy. Are those the kinds of metrics that are rewarded by global financial markets and mechanisms? While Korea was trying to lessen World Bank and IMF influence over Ecuador, did Ecuador's economic success get the approval? of the world bank and international monetary fund because you would think economic success would equal approval from the washington consensus
2: well they didn't improve but they he didn't he didn't need them he didn't ever borrow from the imf so he didn't get any conditions from the imf that the previous governments had had and actually the governments that uh, followed him after 2017 which reversed uh, the reforms as much as they could and and um and uh push them in uh, back in a neoliberal uh direction. And that of course, you know, was a, a failure in, in economic terms by these same uh, measures. And you know, poverty increased instead of decreasing, and growth uh, slowed. And in fact, uh they, they had a terrible experience with the pandemic. Uh it was one of the worst in the in the, the world, and uh and their income. Uh, their pre-COVID income is not expected to be reached until uh, 2026. It was one of the worst uh, uh, recoveries, uh, economic recoveries, uh, from the recession in uh, in uh, the COVID recession in in South America. But Correa didn't have to deal with that because he didn't he didn't go to those institutions.
0: You also write that Ecuador's success was part one of the story that began when Rafael Correa took office in 2007, but then he left office in 2017, and things went to hell in a hurry over the past six years. The first president of this period was Lenin Moreno, who came from Correa's party, but within months turned against it. Not only from the same party, but Lenin Moreno was Rafael Correa's vice president. Did circumstances, perhaps a downturn in the economy... Did circumstances force uh, Moreno to turn against his own party? If things were going so well, why abandon the party and Korea's policies if they were still showing success? So much success it led to Moreno being elected president.
2: Yes. Well, uh, it wasn't. He wasn't. The economy wasn't uh, in crisis when uh, he took over, actually. But I think it was a it was a power struggle, and he decided to go uh, in a different direction kind of the neoliberal direction. And of course, the party didn't want to do that. And so uh, he he engaged in what in, in Ecuador and Latin America is called lawfare. He used the judiciary. Uh, he purged it and then used it to uh, persecute people, including uh, Korea. And he you know, uh, here's another, and this really doesn't get reported here. It's it's, it's kind of amazing. Like, imagine you were running, uh, you wanted to run for president of the United States, and you're a top-level contender, and then uh, and you, you're a Democrat, let's say you're going to run in the Democratic uh, primary, and then all of a sudden your uh, party is taken away from you, <laughs> and that's what, uh, and you don't have a political party, and that's what uh, uh, Moreno did to the largest uh, political movement in the in the country and then lasso of course uh, followed that path uh when he was elected in in 2021 so uh that's you know that's the kind of changes they had and I, I mentioned in that column you have you know some of the warfare against the president himself
0: yeah we'll get to that right now because you write the success successor Moreno Purged the judiciary and used it to persecute his opponents. This included Correa himself, who faces an eight year prison sentence if he comes home. Correa's charges and trial were a farce, with the court finding that he used psychic influence over others to commit crimes because it was so obviously a case of political persecution. He was given political asylum in Belgium and can travel freely to almost anywhere besides Ecuador without fear of any extradition. The New York Times covered uh, Correa's conviction in April of 2020 as the COVID pandemic was surging globally. The Times reported Mr. Correa was among 20 people, including his vice president, Jorge Gloss, accused of accepting $8 million in bribes in exchange for public contracts from 2012 to 2016, in addition to the prison term. The court banned Mr. Correa, 57 years old at the time, from politics for 25 years. Now, this sounds much like the playbook used against Lula in Brazil, a presidency bringing uh, national economic success, more safety, more stability through increased social spending, leading to better and more accessible services like education and health care and higher worker wages. Is there a fair comparison to be made when it comes to Lula and Korea or any other leader in South or even Central America that brings about national stability and improved public safety through expanded social services and is then found to be corrupt with poor evidence? Lula's case was even overturned following his imprisonment on trumped up charges. Is, do you think that these are two comparable situations and how, how much are they the same or how do they differ?
2: Yeah, it's very similar, actually, because Lula was the most popular politician in the country. He left office with an 87% approval rating. He would have easily gotten elected in 2018, but he was thrown in jail. And that was the whole purpose of the lawfare against him. And... uh and again, the media have really failed to hear as well. I don't usually do media criticism, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying this so because people may not have heard these things, but it, you know, he it, it was treated as though it was uh, you know, legitimate uh, investigation and prosecution of him in the in the news. I think actually, I had the first article in the New York Times that uh, just reported in an op-ed uh that uh, whatever you know what was known uh and factual was that the the only uh witness they had against lula in that trial that put him in in jail was someone uh he was a, a corporate executive who was held in jail until he changed his story and implicated lula and that was how they uh convicted him and so uh and then that hadn't been reported anywhere until I wrote it in in, in, in the uh, in the opinion pages, and so uh, that's the uh, so that, that is very similar in the sense that they used lawfare. Both of the countries used lawfare, and, and there's another thing, and this we could spend a, a week on, but I'll keep it short. But the U.S. had a really important the U.S. government had a really important role in both of these cases. In the case of Lula and also his successor uh, dilma the united states took uh, public actions that showed their support for both of those coups the coup against uh, um, against lula and and also against dilma who was you know impeached without even a crime and uh and and the same thing I think is true uh, in Ecuador. And this is very powerful because when these people uh, who are trying to destroy the rule of law and succeeded in both of those countries uh, for quite some time, uh, they, uh, you know, they when they see support and the world sees support from the United States, uh, that makes a, a big difference. And in, you know, in Ecuador, uh, I think they they showed that first of all the u.s government showed that they didn't like correa and uh and then when moreno uh you know switched sides he got these high profile visits to the u.s they gave him a lot of political cover the same thing happened for lasso who succeeded moreno in 20 uh elected in 2021 and they really supported him uh, cooperation on military and police and you know, the police actually tried to, uh, uh tried a, a kind of a coup against Correa in 2010. And I remember in, uh, I think just before that, when there was a coup in, uh, in Honduras, which the United States was also involved with and helped, uh, overthrew the democratically elected uh, government there, uh, Mel Salai in 2009, Correa said, probably, you know, I could be next. And I think that, uh, this is the kind of role that the United States played, and again, if you had a few hours, I could go through uh, all the countries in which the United States intervened just in the 21st century uh, to get rid of this uh, so-called, uh, the media called it the pink tide, the, the progressive governments who really, you know, as I said, uh, changed uh, so many things uh, positively in the in the hemisphere and the you know one of the interesting things about it historically that make this uh series of elections that took place in uh in this hemisphere in the 2000s uh so important is that it isn't really the i think the first time historically that you've got this kind of social change uh peacefully with uh, elections. You know, you've had revolutions that have changed history. I mean, you know, Chinese, China pulled 850 million people out of extreme poverty with the highest growth that the world has ever seen, but it wasn't a democratic uh, revolution. And uh, and most of the, of the big uh, changes have come about uh, uh, through, uh, you know, through revolutions. not I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there's been long periods of reform that have also transformed uh, countries. But you, you didn't have anything like this, uh, certainly in Latin America, in so many countries in this same period that really changed the situation of tens of millions of people.
0: So what impact do you think that the charges against Rafael Correa, brought in by the Lenin-Moreno administration, how, how do you think those charges uh, had any effect on the party's chances, Lenin Moreno's party, Correa's party, uh, their chances of the presidency in the 2021 election? Did Guillermo Lasso win the 2021 election in any way due to the charges, the trumped-up charges that have been uh, put against Correa? Uh, Did they hold uh, uh, power with the, with the public in Ecuador?
2: well in uh in 2021 yes Lasso's election yeah yeah oh yeah i think i mean the 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 Correa's movement again the largest in the country was severely handicapped by the law fair i mean first of all they didn't have the guy who could have won the, you know he's still immensely popular by the way he could win today if he were allowed to run so they couldn't have him run and uh and as i said you know in the years prior to the election, their party was uh, stolen from them. They had to go through all these, uh, you know, transformations in order to uh, uh, and legal changes in order to even be able to run, and uh, and and so I think the, they definitely had uh, advantages that were due to the uh, illegalities.
0: You write that more frightening right now is the spiraling violence. Under Correa, Ecuador's homicide rate had declined from 18 per 100,000 to just 5.8 in 2016, one of the lowest in Latin America, but has since exploded in, at a, uh, to a projected 40 for 2023, one of the highest in the hemisphere. How much can that violence and crime just be blamed as it often is on the pandemic. Is there any evidence that a Korea like approach to the pandemic would have been any more or less successful, leading to a far more safe, whether it's safe from crime or safe from the virus, Ecuador today?
2: Oh, well, yeah, I think there's no doubt. I mean, first of all, if you look at what Korea did for healthcare, uh, you know, doubling its percentage of spending and its percent of GDP, and uh you know all the improvements they had, and then you see uh what's happened uh, since and uh, failure, the failure of the it was a terrible failure in uh, what they how they've dealt with it uh under the you know uh, the governments uh, that followed and uh i think uh the uh the other part of it in terms of the crime uh you have this uh connections between. Uh, both Lasso and the president who just won and and organized crime. And you've had, you know, three letters from the U.S. Congress actually in the last year uh, calling for investigations because of these these corruption and crime. Here's something that uh, Representative Grijalva uh, released a a statement uh, on October 13th, just, you know, less than uh, two weeks ago. And uh, because what happened was there were uh, six uh, there were six men that were arrested in connection with this assassination of a presidential candidate, uh, Fernando Villavicencio, uh, on August 9th. And uh, the FBI actually went down there right after to help investigate. And what did the government do? Here, uh, Grijalva describes it. I'm deeply concerned. I'll quote from him, the news of the death of individuals under government custody who were suspects in the assassination of Ecuadorian presidential candidate Vicencio. The failure to protect people in custody, which could have provided critical information on this assassination, is inexcusable. It raises more doubts and concerns about connections between government officials and organized crime in Ecuador, especially at a critical juncture of the nation's history. And so, you know, this is something that, again, the media missed this too. I mean, uh, why, why did they put these people who had the information on the assassination or believed to have had it and were believed to have been involved? They put them in, uh, in one of the most dangerous prisons in the country, which was, you know, where the prisons are really run by gangs and organized crime. And they could be killed in five minutes, you know, and, and they were killed, you know, pretty soon. And it's interesting, too, they were killed uh, very soon after uh, Secretary of State Blinken uh, offered a $5 million reward for information uh, leading to the arrest and conviction of the assassins uh, of uh of his presidential candidate. Now, I don't think he did this on purpose, but you can imagine uh, that, uh, you know, these people were not going to talk. And, and then they, you know, maybe either they, we don't know what they were thinking, you know, when the reward was offered. But you can imagine that the mafia and organized crime, which was very likely involved in the assassination of the candidate. They saw that this reward was there. And it was right after that, they decided uh, or someone decided to kill all these people so there would be no witnesses and i think it probably changed their calculation and again i don't i don't i don't know that anybody in the state department uh, thought that that would happen but i'm saying that this is the kind of uh, situation you have there when you have this kind of control and connections between organized crime and lasso himself you know we didn't actually say how lasso got to the point uh of um having these new elections halfway through his term but that happened because he has the right under the law to call for uh, new elections and uh and then uh, you know to finish his term and and instead of finishing his term that is a, a new president and that's what happened in may he did that because uh he was facing impeachment uh, for all the corruption and again the connections to organized crime that uh, that uh, these uh, three congressional letters uh, mentioned, or this was a statement; the other two were letters in April and June. And he he uh, so he called uh, he called these new elections, and that's how we got to the uh, the place we are right now.
0: And he dismissed the National Assembly as well. This is during an impeachment inquiry into Lasso, and that impeachment inquiry included uh, connections that he has had and revelations that were made through the Pandora Papers. You write of Moreno's and Lasso's presidencies, the results of the six-year destruction of the rule of law and policy reversals. We're not pretty. Poverty reached its highest level in a decade just before the pandemic. The most recent data show a poverty rate seventeen percent higher than six years ago. So who benefits from this rise in poverty if this if these uh, policies are being pursued that lead to increases in poverty, who benefits from that increase in poverty?
2: well, I, it's not clear. I mean, sometimes they do these things just because they believe in it. And it isn't necessarily benefiting them. I mean, you know in in if you look at the whole uh, period of the ten years of Korea or the you know the the even in the other countries as well, I think the uh, because of the economic growth that you had, the vast increase in economic growth in the prior uh, decades, uh, you know the uh, businesses uh, benefited from that as well. So in this one, it's hard to see, uh, who, uh, benefited or that the majority of the businesses in the country, let's put it that way, uh, benefited from the, uh, you know, the reversal of Ecuador's reform. I mean, some do, obviously, you know, uh, Lassa himself, uh, was a banker and, uh, You know, the banks like to be able to take their money out of the country whenever they want. So that would be an example of something where they just want the total freedom to do whatever they want without regard to what happens to the economy.
0: We are speaking with columnist Mark Weisbrot, who recently posted the uh, Center for Economic Policy and Research article, Ecuador's Election could have lasting consequences. Your article that we're discussing was posted on Saturday, October 14th. This past Thursday, October 19th, Ecuador held their election. But prior to that vote, you wrote, the candidates represent opposing sides of the policy choices, goals, values, and interests that brought about the sharply contrasting results of the two preceding uh, episodes. And you point out that on one side, from the same wealth strata as uh, former President Guillermo Lasso, net worth in the hundreds of millions at least Is Daniel Noboa He is the son of the person we mentioned earlier The banana tycoon Alvaro Noboa Ecuador's richest person Daniel Noboa was elected in the National Assembly In 2021 and is widely seen As representing the status quo This includes his connections to both Lasso And to organized crime For example through Lasso's Agriculture minister Bernardo Manzano A former senior manager In the Noboa group who resigned as Minister in a corruption scandal in February Why would voters in Ecuador support an organized crime-linked presidential candidate? I mean, how much is Korea's political party and movement and himself disliked in Ecuador?
2: Well, uh, I mean, again, Korea. I don't think there's any doubt that if you look at the polls, you know, Correa would have won the election if he were allowed to run. And that's because of the, you know, the huge... Uh, advances that people had in education and in healthcare, and infrastructure and uh, income uh, during his 10 years and so that's uh, part of the story but also you know first of all there's a chunk of the electorate who's not old enough to
0: remember uh, do you want to reestablish
1: um, he hasn't totally disappeared I don't know what happened something on his end I think
0: this is hell. See I told you so. This is hell. You are listening to This Is Hell. We are streaming live every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at ten A.M. Podcast shortly after at the same place, thisishell.com. We are also we also broadcast every Saturday morning on WNUR eighty nine point three FM Evanston, Chicago Sound Experiment, and we air twice a week in an, an abbreviated version on Lumpin' Radio on Chicago South Side, as well as on CKUW, Winnipeg's Community Radio, and uh, Radio Free Moscow in Moscow, Idaho, and Beware the Radio at Bewaretheradio.com, which is out of London, England. Any. Where else that we broadcast anything? That's basically it. Uh, and uh, yeah, you should check out our website. This is Hell.com, and uh, join us in our Discord community. Uh, join us at our Facebook group. Welcome to the Hellhole. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And uh, yeah, and become a subscriber at Patreon.com/slash. This is hell. We are completely listener-supported, without any commercial interruptions, without any commercial sponsorship, without any corporate grant money. We don't make enough profits to be a not-for-profit. So, so show your support for completely independent. This is hell by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support and see all the ways that you can support this is hell. Richard, I'm. Should I vamp more?
2: <laughs> yes, Chuck, you Chuck oh, he uh, did you? Uh, I'm sorry. There was an internet interruption for about yeah, that, one minute. That's
0: okay. Let me just tell you where you left off. So you said that young people, uh, many young people, don't even remember Korea's time in office. So, um, oh, you can't hear me now. Uh, now, now we can. Now I can hear you. So, how much is organized crime now in control of Ecuador, and is that part of its history? Was was organized. Uh, crime in control of Ecuador leading up to Correa, and then while he was in office, it lost some power, and then it has been ushered back into power again following the Moreno and Lasso presidencies.
2: Well, there's organized crime everywhere you know, including this country. But the question is, you know, how much influence does it have? And, and you know, what are the connections between the executive and parts of the government and organized crime? And this is why I think people have made such an issue out of Lasso's uh, connections. You didn't have anything like that in the in the uh, Korea government. Uh, there was no, you know, there was nothing... Uh, nothing like that. I think that's a big part of the problem, and uh, so that's you know that's where the or uh, organized crime was really allowed to grow, and in the, their influence was allowed to grow in the last six years, and that's why you have this huge increase in the hom- homicide rate. And I'm including the gangs, you know, as well as as part of our organized crime, and again the hundreds of people killed in the in the prisons as well. That was part of the violence a big increase in, in violence and that's a you know that's a really uh obviously that's a terrible thing to happen to any country and that's one of the reasons that i was as worried as you know i was about uh this election although it's not over yet and we can talk about that too
0: well, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, so why was the corruption, why was the organized crime, was, why was the amalg- amalgamation, as you call it, of oligarchs, organized crime, violence, corruption, and lack of accountability, why was Korea able to dislodge that? Was there something that he did that could possibly be a repeated success by his successors?
2: Well, I think the main thing is that he had put together a government that was different people that people didn't have these connections with organized crime and weren't looking for them. I and mean, this was really a reformed government. That's how they were able to change uh, they changed the institutions of the government. I mentioned the central bank, but other ministries as well. They were, uh, you know, they were organized in a, a different way to try and uh, change the economy in a way that would uh, produce the results that they actually produced in terms of income, education, healthcare, infrastructure. And these, uh, you know, when Moreno decided, you know, that was the first one, uh, 2017 uh, to to 21, uh, that succeeded uh, Correa, you know, when he moved in a a different direction, uh, these people began to gain strength and especially under Lasso uh, who is, you know, uh, the richest person, in, uh, one of the richest people in the country.
0: So in the end, what happens is you have this, uh, election and in, as the polls are leading up to the election, there's different people who are leading in the polls. It's, uh, Noboa, uh, the son, Daniel Noboa, the son of the richest man in Ecuador versus Luisa Gonzalez, who, uh, for what it's worth, she represents the Correismo side of the election. The, so, it's the, again, it's the business side versus what you might consider the people in the election. And, uh, uh, and Noboa wins in the final election, not by very many points, by like six points or no, less than four points. Uh, he won, wins by just a slight margin, but he does win. What impact do you think uh, the wealth of his father, Alvaro Noboa, or the uh, crimes that had been uh, happening uh, leading up to the election, what impact do you think those two things had on the election? Was this election? Is there any evidence that it was either bought or stolen
2: well you have you know you have enormous spending on social media, and this is true in other countries too in Latin America, so that was a huge advantage and then you have the media just completely blanking out on all the stuff that we've been uh, talking about, including the most recent uh, scandal that under Ecuadorian law would make Noboa ineligible to even run. Uh, and so you, and then you have the the prosecutor general, just like the attorney general, Diana Salazar. You know, she was the one who uh, got the uh, jail sentence for Correa. And, you know, she was uh, trying to um, push the idea that uh, uh, the Correistas were uh, somehow uh, responsible for the assassination. And, uh, you know, here's another example of the United States, uh, how it legitimizes these people. She got the the anti-corruption award. Uh, from the U.S. State Department, this was decided by uh, Pompeo State Department, but the award was given under uh, Blinken, and she tried to intervene also in the 2020 election, the 2021 election, uh, on the on the side of uh, Lasso, and so this is uh, this is the kind of huge ad- advantage they have, and this is just a, I mean, a, a segment of it, but you know the money, the power uh the um all the lawfare that they used all of this has an impact and it really I mean it really destroyed the rule of law and 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 uh the possibility of having real democratic elections
0: a colleague of yours uh, rano uh, herrera writes at cepr about uh <laughs> Well, uh, it talks about uh, Rodney Rangel, the police officer in charge of investigating the links between Correa, uh, or Carrera, the former President Lasso's brother-in-law and main business advocate, and the Albanian Mafia. Herrera writes that Rangel, the officer in charge of investigating links between former President Lasso's brother-in-law and the Albanian mob, said that after the case was controversially shelved, he had to flee the country because of the threats to his life. How much evidence is there? Because they talk about, I mean, this is just incredible, about uh, cocaine being drugs would be sh- uh, smuggled in banana shipments. And the Noboa group uh, is the biggest banana producer in Ecuador. How much evidence, if at all, is there that Ecuador's banana industry is connected to cocaine dealing?
2: Oh, well, I think there's a lot of that. the question, you know, I mean, just in the last couple of months, uh, the biggest shipment of cocaine ever to arrive in spain came from ecuador in a a banana boat and it was nine and a half uh tons and of course nobody (laughs) yeah this is the strange thing about it I i I've been looking for the follow up on this story as well. You know, it'd be nice to know like whose boat was it? And, uh, you know, that's not reported, but I think it will. Be, there will be investigations at some point. And, uh, but that's, yeah. I mean, you know, right now you don't have the hard evidence that implicates, you know, the Lomboa, uh family or others, but there's no doubt that there's a huge connection between the banana uh, uh, exports and uh, cocaine
0: exports and mark you were mentioning earlier that daniel Noboa may not have actually been eligible to run for president why is that the case
2: because in 2017 ecuador passed a law that specified and this has been an issue uh it was an issue with lasso as well uh that said that um if you want to run for public office or hold public office in ecuador you can't hold uh assets outside the country in uh, tax places that are, are called are considered tax havens like uh, Panama and uh, so that's where that's why uh, it was uh, you know it should have been a major scandal when uh, these documents were discovered right before the election uh, showing that he actually does uh, Namoa does own uh, these documents uh, these uh, sorry these uh, assets
0: So how much does the outcome of the election as it stands right now, or even a future election, if they have to have another election because uh, Daniel Noboa does not qualify to be an uh, elected president of Ecuador, uh, how much does the election determine the fate of the Noboa family and its businesses?
2: Well, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, right now, the uh, the party of Korea uh, is still the largest in the Congress. They actually gained a little last election, and uh, so they have about thirty-eight uh, uh, percent. And I think the um, the next biggest is uh, maybe twenty-one uh, percent. So uh, they're the dominant party in the Congress, and it is possible that they'll find a way uh, to. Uh, cooperate on some issues i mean the best thing would be uh, issues that help to restore the rule of law in the country i think and because otherwise you're not going to get rid of the murder uh, problem uh and that you know we'll we'll have to see what happens i mean right now uh there are some uh, indications that uh, that's possible i think that's what uh you know that would be the the best outcome that you can you can imagine going forward
0: one last question for you mark we've been speaking with columnist mark weisbrot who recently posted the center for economic policy and research article ecuador's election could have lasting consequences as you know mark our final question is always the question from hell the question we hate to ask you may hate to answer our audience is going to hate your response again the headline of the story ecuador's election could have lasting consequences What are those lasting consequences, not just for Ecuador, but the region and even the world? Does this yet again prove to the United States that lawfare works and it's a way to legitimize a coup?
2: Well, it's, you know, they have obviously used it. They've intervened. And, you know, again, we could spend hours on all the interventions just in the 21st uh, century that, you know, you mentioned Brazil, but there was also Argentina and there was Uruguay and there was Bolivia where they did a coup in 2019 uh, that was, led, you know, military. Uh, an actual military coup to remove the uh, democratically elected president there, and that was very strongly supported by the United States. And uh, someone acting on my their, on their on their behalf, who was the head of the Organization of American States, and they oversaw the election. They lied about it, and uh, but the the, uh, the party of Evo Morales did come back. And you also have other trends in the other direction. You've had elections recently in Brazil, where Lula came back. And then in uh, Chile, which uh, elected a, a, a progressive uh, government, and also in Colombia, which for the first time elected a, a left uh, government, in and and, and uh, Mexico, you have a, a progressive and more and and independent uh, government. So. Uh, I, you know, I still think that that is the way that Latin America is 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 going to go. It, it's it's really tough, though. I mean, this is what I think people in this country should understand. And more members of Congress are understanding it. Uh, by the way, there were five members of Congress, into, including you know AOC, Nidia Vazquez, uh, Greg Casar, uh, they, uh, Maxwell Frost, Joaquin Castro. They all just went down to South America, and they met with these governments in Brazil, they went to Brazil, they went to Chile, they went to Colombia, you know, the newer uh, progressive governments, and they've been speaking out more now, and you, so you have a lot of uh, pushback in the United States. You had a letter signed by 21 uh, members of Congress recently that called for the first time for the end to sanctions on Venezuela and Cuba, and that's a very, very big thing. I don't have time for that here now, but I can just say the the economic sanctions that they have used, that uh, our governments have used, uh, not only against Venezuela, but many countries in the world, these are more powerful. I think these are a a bigger uh, and and more, uh, except when there's an actual big shooting war, they're a more lethal weapon than anything that our, our government uses in a typical year uh, that is the most. Uh, uh, that's that, that's the most violence that's caused by our government because that's what sanctions do. They destroy the economy, and uh, and they uh, cause people to die uh, prematurely. There's tens of thousands of people just in Venezuela who died uh, from the sanctions in the in the first year after uh, trump imposed them in 2017 the broad you know kind of economic sanction so you're getting pushback now is what you're getting you have uh again some uh, dozens of members of congress who uh and more than that i mean the progressive caucus has issued so many statements and that's a hundred members and for the first time really uh you have a real force in congress that's pushing back against the executive to stop uh, pursuing these policies that are really horrible and in, in many cases violent uh, to prevent progressive governments from either being elected or carrying out uh, what they the program that they ran on. And so that's why I do see uh, that these governments will keep uh, coming back and uh, and I think the future is going to be much more positive.
0: But this is one of the things that really bugs me, Mark, not something that you said, it just bothers me, and that is when they label it an immigration crisis or a migrant crisis or a refugee crisis or a border crisis. They never talk about how what this really is, at least in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a U.S. unilateral economic sanctions created crisis. Am, yeah. am and I, am yeah. I am I at first am I wrong? And why doesn't the media ever suggest that sanctions may be, and even climate change may be playing a role in what's happening?
2: The media does avoid it mostly, the major media. But you know, in that letter I mentioned uh, from the Congress to Biden, and it was actually led by a co-chair of uh, Biden's uh, campaign they they highlighted that. They said that we have a refugee crisis because of these sanctions. And uh, so uh, that's, you know, so, so that is coming up now. It's not, uh, I don't think it's going to be, a, they're going to be able to avoid it indefinitely, but it is really important. And I think also uh, the, you know, uh, Senator, I mean, uh, Congressman McGovern, Jim McGovern, from massachusetts when he was chair of the house rules committee two years ago which is one of the most powerful positions in the House, he sent a letter to biden and he called for lifting the sanctions on on venezuela and in that letter and you can see it because he posted it on twitter you know they say pretty clearly that the sanctions are are uh harming the civilian population Uh, and that, and that that's how they work. That they're actually that they actually target the civilian population. He explains that in the letter. That that's uh, what it is. And you know, and they that's the way the sanctions work is that they make people suffer and they actually kill a lot of people. He didn't use the word kill, but uh, he said harm, economic pain, and uh, and and they get the remaining people to try and get rid of the government. That's the actual way in which they work. And this is a real crime. You know, under the Geneva Conventions, this would be a war crime if there were a war going on. And the UN has published a lot of, uh, a number of papers saying, well, something that's a a war crime when there's people are shooting each other uh, ought to be a crime when they're they're not. It's called collective punishment under the Geneva Conventions. And that's exactly what it is. And it's not even collateral damage, you know, like, uh, you know, when they bomb people and they say, well, you know, it was an accident, or it was, maybe it was. You know, this is actually the the deliberate uh, goal of sanctions is and, he, and there's no denying that, okay, uh, is to uh, is to harm uh, the civilian population so as to undermine support for the government and and in many cases to try and overthrow it. And you know, Pompeo actually admitted that openly. He didn't care, you know. And uh, but this is coming from the Democratic side. This is coming from people who are against it. Uh, and so I think that's really important. That is the thing that most people don't know. And the reason I'm mentioning the sanctions is because this is how the United States exerts most of its influence and is able to uh, support and keep and move uh, you know, behind governments uh, like Noboa and against governments like uh, Korea, or the uh, progressive governments in, that we had in Ar- Argentina, you know, Nestor and Christina Kirchner. I mean, they've they've done so much uh, against them, and the threat of the sanctions, I think, has become their most uh, powerful weapon. And so that's why I, you know, again, people until people realize the kind of crimes that are being committed uh with our uh, tax dollars here uh i think that you know they can they can get away with it for now but it's it's not going to be that much longer
0: no and the blowback is going to be horrible mark i really appreciate you being back on the show i promise you will be less than five years from now that we have you back on. It's great to hear your voice again. Say hello to Dean and everybody at CEPR for us. Thank you so much for all the years of support from the Center for Economic Policy and Research. Really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Chuck. Glad to be here.
0: All right. Take care. You too. Staring into the abyss so you don't have to, this is hell. And who knows what will happen over the next few years with or days even, with Daniel Noboa as Ecuador's president, but as he is the son of the richest man in the country who happens to make a fortune off exporting bananas, which is a very popular way to distribute cocaine globally, you can bet the IMF and World Bank and even the Biden administration is going to love it. If you have a better understanding of what happened in last week's elections in Ecuador after our conversation with Mark Weisbrot, show your appreciation by becoming a subscriber to our weekly bonus Patreon podcast, which goes live on Patreon at patreon.com slash hell. every uh, Thursday, sometimes Friday morning at 10 a.m. Chicago time. It's going live on... Friday or Thursday morning this week, or you can show your support for completely listener supported This Is Hell by visiting thisishell.com and clicking on support. Richard, please remind us what is this week's question from hell and tell us how our listeners are responding so far.
1: This week's question from hell is How will you celebrate former President Trump's re election in 2024?
0: <laughs> I know you. It's all fireworks at your house. <laughs>
1: Right, I'm gonna read some from uh, "This Is Hell" post. Sure. I think we
0: uh, we did the. Uh, let's see. Welcome to the Hell Hole. Okay. And so Facebook. I think we're down to. Oh no, that's what I was doing was the. Facebook. Oh no, Facebook. No, Facebook is good. We didn't do Facebook yet.
1: Right, and then I'll do some from Discord. All right. Uh, Braden S says, "Heavy drinking." <laughs> Thomas K. Plenty of self flagulation
0: <laughs> There's nothing like self-flagellation uh, nothing like whipping yourself
1: Peter K answers hail to the chimp played on repeat <laughs> lyrics to be written after legal eagles of the Simpsons finish suing <laughs> All right. how will you celebrate former President Trump's re-election in 2024 David Z answers going in retro 2016 platform shoes bell bottoms you know that was 2016? I guess. I could have swear that was a little
0: bit earlier. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's the trendsetter, David Z.
1: Fabio <laughs> answers with thoughts and prayers.
0: Oh, thoughts and prayers. That always solves everything.
1: And John T. answers defecating at Trump Tower. <laughs> a lot <laughs> i hope you uh, choose the new york for version of
0: Tom <laughs> unless you're doing it inside and like, using a toilet yeah. there i'd just rather you didn't defecate on the streets of chicago
1: all right, we have a couple on uh discord the discord all
0: right um sorry, my mouse is being weird it always is being weird we got to get a new mouse for that computer no it, it's
1: fine all um right. so how will you celebrate former President Trump's re-election in 2024? Kim G answers, make a dirty martini using my gouged-out eyes as olives.
0: Yeah, it says gauged, but I know she meant gouged. Who wants to put gauged out eyes? I don't really understand. Yeah, gouged-out eyes for olives in your martini? Disgusting.
1: And then Goofus Mc- McNufus <laughs> yeah. will be listening to Rocket Number 9 from Sun Ra.
0: Which is a great song, and thank you for posting that link in our Discord community. Any more, do you um, want to just share the rest after? Uh... No,
1: we'll do the rest after.
0: Okay. Uh, so you can leave your answer to this week's question mail at our Facebook page. You can still post it at Patreon. Uh, you can still email it to us, post it in our Discord community. Uh, the F- Welcome to the Hellhole Facebook group. Uh, and the winner... Whichever one we choose is our favorite answer to this week's question Mel, They get their choice of whatever This Is Hell swag they want. You can see all of our stuff right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. We will be announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorchin in the Moment of Truth, which is coming up. Richard, what's Jeff talking about again during this
1: week's Moment of Truth? It's talking about medieval Japanese coleslaw
0: (laughs) All right. Keeping it real, real deep in debt since nineteen ninety-six. This is hell. And if you want to help us climb out of that debt, you can subscribe to our Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash this is hell. Become a subscriber to this is hell on Patreon, and get exclusive access to our weekly Patreon podcast, which streams weekly and is podcast shortly after at the same place. Patreon.com slash this is hell. This week on Patreon. I have an admission to make, I am entering the 21st century. Make that the 20th century. I'm, I'm changing my lifestyle by doing something I never wanted to do. Doing something I still do not want to do, but I must. For not only my own sake, but for the sake of my family, friends, friends who are family. For my own sake too, I guess, and because it's the right thing to do. Despite it feeling so wrong to me. I am hating myself for finally caving into peer pressure. I am disappointed that I could not continue to keep myself free from such an incursion into my life. I I feel just awful about what I am voluntarily doing to myself, the harm I am inflicting upon myself, the risks I am now vulnerable to, the danger I am now in, suddenly a mark for crime and violence, making myself a target for all sorts of intimidating, even physical threats. I have an admission, nay, a confession to make. But you can only find out what it is by tuning into this week's Patreon podcast, which goes live on Thursday at patreon.com slash this is how also on Patreon. We are we were digging around the archives looking for something that was related to the conflict between Gaza and Israel. And we found a September sixth, two thousand and eight conversation. So A little bit over 15 years ago A discussion we had with Jessica Montel Executive Director of Bishalem The Israeli Information Center For Human Rights in the Occupied Territories Jessica was on at the time To discuss her group's work on human rights And their Shooting Back project Here's how Bishalem described the project At the time In January of 2007 Bishalem launched Shooting Back A video advocacy project Focusing on the Occupied Territories We provide Palestinians living in high-conflict areas with video cameras with the goal of bringing the reality of their lives under occupation to the attention of the israeli and international public exposing and seeking redress for violations of human rights so israelis were risking their lives trying to get the world to know what was happening to the people living in the occupied territories working with people in the occupied territories who are doing the videography, who are putting themselves at risk. And here at This Is How, we were doing what little we could to get the world to know what Israelis and Palestinians were doing together to make certain the people knew about the inhumane crimes that were being committed by the Israeli government. And here we are 15 years later, and the only lesson we seem to learn is this is hell but the only way you can hear me admit to something i would rather not have to and and a reminder that israelis were and palestinians were risking everything to stop the israeli government and military's collective punishment of the palestinian people is by becoming a Patreon patron at patreon.com slash hell. If you do become a subscriber to This Is Hell on Patreon, not only do you get a special secret code word, giving you a dis- discount on all of our merchandise that you can find right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, but you also get access to over 400 past Patreon podcasts. That's like, I don't know, three years, four years of additional This Is Hell. With each and every one of those podcasts featuring a, Monologue by me that you can't hear anywhere else in a classic interview that currently is not available anywhere else online. That's patreon.com slash thisishell. Coming up, Jeff with the moment of truth, the rest of your answers to this week's question from hell. We will be announcing this week's winner. And we'll also tell you what's happening on next week's This Is Hell. You are listening to God's favorite radio show. Prove me wrong. This is hell. Richard, I know you have Hefe on the line.
2: What?
3: Zuihitsu Zatoichi, a word coleslaw. Always hoping to broaden the literary knowledge of the listenership, as well as my own, according to the theory that a well-rounded left is an agile left, I present the following word coleslaw. Zuihitsu is a literary form originating in medieval Japan in which subject and style are apt to change as the writer's mind flows along a river of words. That's how I understand it, anyway, and we all know the flaws in that, Jalopy. Nevertheless, part one, the swordsmanship of Zatoichi. Although blind, the Monsieur slash swordsman, when he wields his blade, never misses. Toss a lit candle into the air and a moment later two half-cylinders fall to the floor. The inerrant five-body blade of his katana has split the candle into two perfect halves from top to bottom. Even the wick has been split down the middle, the two half-wicks still aflame. Likewise, present me with a whole green cabbage, or an idea. Toss it in the air, and with my stainless steel cleaver, I will cleave it in twain, now what was once singular is rendered a pair and so on and so on with the cleaving i go until i have cloven one entirety into many bits of a dismantled oneness each a disparate portion from the others and then of course the dressing is applied but the salad lotion does not merely clothe the bits singularly nor does it cloak them collectively under one viscous parachute the so-called dressing is the glue which binds the bits, so that what was cleft apart now cleaves together into a holism far more than the sum of its orts. A whole slew becomes a collated slaw, or coal slaw In its remantled or reconstructed form, that which it comprises is reiterated as a novel entity, the richer for the experience through which both subject and object have persisted. Part 2. Drama World I posit a society where every day people take part in dramas written by a central committee of elected theatrical-slash-drama creators. The plays-slash-scenes are structured long-form improv like Curb Your Enthusiasm or Jury Duty. Tasks are completed within the parameters of the day-long drama. Here's the pitch for Tuesday. We need the crops planted. We have Beatus as the recalcitrant fool, Aurella as the ingenue. Information about future events and goods and services for sale are worked into the drama. Educational information, as well as verdicts or diagnoses, are given to specific players. We'll have Marcus, the concerned authoritative physician, break the news to endemia about her incurable brain tumors during the scene where they're considering adopting a donkey. The economy is run through the following hierarchy. The elite committee of each community decides what each day's script must contain. Then the creatives craft the general shape of the day's story. The players have actor's prerogative or freedom within the moment while they bring the day's script to life. Note to IP developer Make it seem practical. Part three A stick. Bernardo had a stick. It looked like a wooden matchstick, like one of those Ohio blue tip matchsticks, but without a match head. It was perhaps four centimeters in length and a half millimeter greater in the other dimensions than a normal wooden matchstick. Just a short, square stemmed, sturdy little stick of blonde wood. He believed that stick was his father. It lived in a small top hat, like one a Scrooge McDuck's Pez dispenser might wear. Part 4 An idea for the last installment of the seemingly endless Indiana Jones franchise. Indiana Jones meets Hannibal Lecter in the basement of gloom. Part 5 I am neither kind nor patient. I suffer neither fools nor geniuses gladly. I suffer nothing gladly. I don't even enjoy anything gladly. Part 7 Ode to my tushy. I'll sing an ode to my tushy. It's comfy, peachy, and squishy. It makes me feel grounded. It makes me feel seated. It feels good pain from exercise of yesterday completed. Part 8. The Dice Khan. Zatoichi's Mirbius Bushido Code. The blind swordsman Zatoichi's appetites are simple and few. One of them is for gambling. The game is Chohan Bakuchi or odd or even gambling. Chohan is played in the following manner. All the gamblers in low life sit around an oblong table. Zatoichi wants to join the game and offers to be what they call the dealer, the one who shakes the dice. So Zatoichi takes the bamboo cup puts the two dice in, covers the cup and shakes it, then slams the upside-down cup on the table. Then all the gamblers, including Zatuichi, place their bets, odd or even. The twist is, when Zatoichi slammed the cup down, the dice landed just outside the cup, but being blind, Zatoichi didn't see this. The others could see what the dice throw was, odd or even, so they bet accordingly. Zatoichi, finding their unanimity strange, bet the other way. This happened again and again, everyone winning while they could see the blind man was betting wrong each time. Finally, Zatoichi shakes the dice in the cup, slams the cup face down, the dice land outside the cup again, and all the other gamblers bet all their money against Zatoichi. Let's say they all bet even. Zatoichi bets odd. But Zatsuichi's hand brushes against the dice. He says, oh, sorry, these dice must have fallen from my sleeve. I keep them there for good luck. He puts them back in his sleeve, lifts the cup, and lo and behold, the dice under the cup read odd. He can feel with his fingertips that they do. He begins to collect his money, but the gamblers and low life object. What's wrong? Zatoichi wants to know. You mean you are betting on the dice outside the cup? You must bet on the dice under the cup. Don't you know the rules? They are confused and angry. He says, Don't try to take advantage of a blind man. What a reputation you gentlemen will garner if you behave in this fashion. In this way, by flipping the greed and deception of others against them, we will win our world back from the acquisitive class. This has been the moment of truth. Good day.
0: That was spectacular because people keep asking me this. If people want to just read your moments of truth, are you posting them anywhere? I should probably know this. Well,
3: the text and audio are posted on the website.
0: Do you ever Uh, do you ever ad lib? So you kind of stray from the script at all?
3: A little bit, yeah. I mean, the, the the script is never quite exactly the same as what I say. I've
0: tried to Usually, explain that to people with my monologues, that I don't just read the monologue. I'm constantly editing as I'm reading.
3: You know, you got to put it in writing. Yeah. Put it in writing at the very beginning. The following transcript is not an actual transcript.
0: <laughs> exactly. exactly. But, you know,
3: and I, I'm never sure, because of the way... Uh, the the posting on the site is set up. I'm never quite sure if people ever even listen to the audio unless I post it separately on, you know, uh, sometimes I post it on Substack or right. elsewhere just to make sure that it gets out there and Facebook and lead people to that. Um, but uh, the <laughs> but not only are the are the texts available, there's also. Humorous or obnoxious illustrations to go along with the text.
0: Wait, you have a Substack?
3: I do have a Substack.
0: What is it, Jeff? Uh,
3: well, that's a good question. <laughs> you caught me off guard because I haven't posted to it in a long time. I only post particular, you know, certain things are appropriate for Substack, like if they're political or if they, if they're sort of self-contained. Uh, uh, I think the the one with the the one that has the sound is called oh my god dude you <laughs> totally got me oh uh i think it's called a uh, newsletter from a flounder maybe okay. and there's one that's like jay dorchin or something like that all
0: right well let me see i'm looking it up right now uh <laughs> write twice a day jeff dorchin Right twice a day, like a broken clock. Uh, newsletter from some flounder, Jeff Dorchin. So you can find <laughs> these easily online. Just search Dorchin Substack, and there it is. Who knew that your sister wasn't didn't have a Substack? Who uh, who had any idea? <laughs> All right, Jeffy. Until next time. What what? Stay beautiful. Okay. Live from land stolen from the Potawatomi people. This. is is hell the person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever this is hell swag you want that is currently available at this is when you click on support you can leave your answer to this week's question from hell uh still up for the next couple of minutes at our facebook page facebook.com slash this is hell radio or on twitter at this is hell radio or on our patreon page patreon.com slash this is hell or with Within our Discord community, or you can email it to us at radio at gmail.com. But we must have your answer right now. So, Richard, what is oh. this week's question from hell? And this, tell us if there are any more answers. Is tomorrow, not the end of the week. Why would I just say? Oh, I, said, uh, I don't know. You I'm said today. I'm oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yes. Am I we, wrong? We are giving the, uh, we're announcing this week's winner today.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. Um, we have an answer from for the question from Hell. How will you celebrate former President Trump's re-election in 2024? Mark A. Answers: I'll be applying for a job in the newly created Department of Pillows.
0: <laughs> That's a good one.
1: And then we have a couple more from uh, that popped up from the Hell ho- the Hell Hole. All
0: right.
1: S L S answers: Curling up in a ball, rocking. Staring at the burning white dot between my eyes while chanting the mantra.
0: Everybody's stupid. <laughs> I'm feeling really bad for SLS now. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Jamie K. answers, the obnoxious answer is cheeseburgers and Diet Coke. <laughs> but instead, I'll raise a glass of cyanide, which, and, is, which is spelled s
0: i g h S-I-G-H. H, cyanide. Very nice.
1: Gen D answers, stay in Romania
0: indefinitely, I guess. <laughs> All right. I don't
1: think that's a bad choice. <laughs> it's not a
0: bad choice. I've been
1: there many times. We first so. have
0: to, uh, it, it implies that they're already in Romania. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
1: But I've been there many times and it's a beautiful country.
0: I bet it is. I have heard it is. Um, when people were in the Peace Corps back in the 80s when they went right after Ce- Ceausescu fell uh, and how it was miserable and how it got much better. I think that's it. All right. So the answers I liked the most were on Patreon. Bruce said, as I did not follow my own advice when W levitated to the throne and invest in oil and war, which he's saying he should have done, my advice and anticipated celebration for a new flood of wealth would be invest in executive colostomy bags and go with the flow. I think that what Bruce is suggesting here is that everybody who's in government nowadays is very, very old Or just has very loose control of their bowels uh, Jeffrey says Googling who to bribe to stay out of the, his re-education camps Probably just a federation of police uh, A fraternal order of police A sticker on my car is enough Old Grouch says Avoid driving in Texas Kim G, make a dirty martini Using my gouge out eyes for olives I did like the link to Sun Ra's Orchestra's playing of Rocket Number Nine from Goofus McNufus. On Facebook, the answers I liked to Thomas K saying plenty of self flagellation, Braden S saying heavy drinking. Uh, John T. saying defecating at Trump Tower a lot Fabio with thoughts and prayers Uh, Welcome to the hellhole Erica saying uh, by leaving the United States Kobe says that the way that he will be celebrating uh, President Trump's re-election in 2024 I will turn the alarm off and roll over Nick saying maybe cocaine induced psychosis Jen staying in Romania indefinitely I guess And Michelle saying hemlock tea on Twitter so any of those really stand out to you, Richard? Nothing
1: particular. You choose.
0: Uh, I'm going to say Kobe is this week's winner. Uh, Kobe's answer to this week's question from hell, how will you be celebrating President Trump's reelection in 2024? I will turn the alarm off. And roll over So congratulations Kobe We'll be contacting you shortly Send us your mailing address And tell us what piece of This is Hell merchandise you would like And we'll get it in the mail to you immediately My answer to this week's question from Hal How will you celebrate Former President Trump's re-election in 2024 I'll be cautiously optimistic About my chances of being arrested Trending on social media If that's a thing anymore And getting a whole bunch of new Patreon subscribers Again very cautiously optimistic. Thanks to everyone who sent in an answer to this week's question from hell. Richard, who is currently our only confirmed guest for next week's show?
1: Sophia Goodfriend wrote the Baffler article, Blunt Force, Precision Warfare Does Not Exist. Sophia is a PhD candidate in Anthropology at Duke University with expertise in surveillance and digital rights in Israeli in Palestine,
0: man—that's the kind of la- last name you want, good friend. You know, like <laughs> yes. so. How'd your family get that name? What do you think? We're real good friends, you know. That's great. Mertz just means store. Do you have any idea what Norwood is from?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, one of either. Well, probably one of my relatives changed their name when they were came over to our country. Why? What was their name? Uh, it was like. It's, it's very Polish. It's like Nowrowski, something oh. similar to
0: that. So you got all Anglicized. Yes. Yes, my, uh, and my family went in the opposite direction. Uh, my grandmother's last name was Stedron, which is a very known Roma name. And so when they were at Ellis Island, they asked the person uh, to put an S-K-I on the end because being Polish was seen as better than being... Somebody who's Roma or Bohemian And uh, uh, Polish people Were known as uh, hard workers So my grandmother's name Was Stedronski when I knew her But prior to that it was Stedron We had to go up to be Polish You went away from being Polish So a huge thank you to Everybody on this week's show Thanks to producers Richard Norwood and Will Ippen uh, Thanks to Sebastian Vuper Ronaldo Magaldi, Jeff Dorchin, And to Dan Kugler Alexander Therrien or Alexander Jerry. Theron Humiston, Dan Hill, Pete Valavanis Just because Seb Vupper will be returning with the past inside the present Next week We will have this week in Rotten History From Ronaldo Magaldi, Jeff Dortch And as always, will deliver a moment of truth uh, Talk to you tomorrow, Thursday On Patreon at patreon.com When I'm admitting to something I'd rather not admit to Confessing to something I'd rather not confess And we'll share a reminder Of what Israelis were doing With Palestinians For Palestinian rights Fifteen years ago, this is how office hours are, meet and greet. That's really a drink and think are happening tonight, Wednesday, beginning at around 6 p.m. at Carrie's Lounge, 2251 West Devon Avenue in Chicago's West Ridge neighborhood. It's supposed to be a beautiful night for drinking in the beer garden and possibly one of the last nights of 2023 that you can actually hang out out back. So look for me out there. I am your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show, podcast, live-streaming host, Chuck Mertz. The only way to get over all of the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's set of shows is by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms towards the sky, focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead, and saying the simple words, everybody's stupid. My demon is on my butt. <laughs> uh, my demon talks to me in profanity like a sailor.